It's time for episode 93 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 24th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that heals all ills, asterisk not legally binding. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across the country from me, as always, is my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Dan. It's always good to start a podcast with a disclaimer, I feel. We are joined, as we always are, by two fantastic guests. To my left is interface designer, Krista Mergan. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. And to my left, uh, a return return visitor. He is one of the many fine hosts of the Rebound podcast and proprietor of the very nice website. It's Mr. John Moltz. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Well, on this podcast, we talk about four technology topics. And since I introduced this week's show, I'm going to kick it off. Uh, This weekend, there was a whole to-do with uh, Apple Music's royalty payments um, during the trial period and Apple reversing its decision. But what I found most interesting about this is that it announced that policy reversal on Twitter. Eddie Q posted on Twitter Sunday evening, I believe, that they would be, in fact, paying artists for the streams that were played during the free trial period. And I'm fascinated by this from the position of, you know, having watched Apple for many years. You know, I feel like people often say this would never happen if Steve Jobs were still around. But I feel like this really is something that wouldn't have happened if Steve Jobs were still around. So I'm kind of curious what this new, what you think the next step is in the new open Apple. Are we going to start to see as as Google starting replying to uh, press inquiries in some cases with animated GIFs? Do we have animated GIFs and memes in our future of Apple? Or was this an aberration? I don't know. What do you think about sort of the new Apple and its approach to engaging with people? Krista? So I I loved this. I was um I was really thrilled. And I think um you know there, we've we've been seeing a lot of of Apple opening up lately. I mean, one huge thing was um Phil Schiller being on the talk show um over w, you know during WWDC. Um and yeah, I mean, I thought that was I thought that was great. I think it's um I would love to see a more open Apple um but as far as this incident's like um in particular, I what I really loved were all of the memes that that um exploded about Taylor Swift. So so, you know, like Stephen F was like, Oh, we should you know, I'm not gonna use bug reporter anymore. I'm just gonna file my bugs with Taylor Swift. She's gonna get it taken care of. <laughs> and you know, sort of and it escalated from there, and sort of by the end of by the end of the day, um Taylor Swift was like solving more fe- um, you know, world uh, peace. She was getting the Confederate flag taken down. You know, she was uh, she was all over everything. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I liked that that um, the solution was just to ask ask Taylor Swift to get things done. I love the new Open Apple. I think, um, look, I, I'm sure there is strategy here. It is a different strategy. It's not like they're losing discipline. I think it's a new discipline and this this feeling that the old rule book was really like you know it was Katie Cotton running the communications group and Steve Jobs in charge and it was very it was completely locked down and like everything came through Steve basically via Katie and uh, it was all very controlled and you know Phil Schiller was a part of that but it was all about like filtering it through like the black box of Apple like there was just Apple speaking. And this new approach is lots of different people get to speak. They are still speaking Apple's considered message, I would say. But by having a cast of characters at Apple, I think it makes Apple, I think it makes Apple look better. Like you get to see the personalities of the people who work at Apple and you don't feel like Apple is this monolith. And I think that is actually good for Apple. I I would say so too. I think it's kind of funny though, how people have spent so long asking for this. And then when Jeff Williams goes on stage 
a couple months ago and says that the car is the ultimate mobile device, everybody kind of rolled their eyes and there was a long period of people commenting on Twitter about how that was a really dumb thing to say. And, you know, they're just launching this watch and he should be focusing on the watch and not saying anything about cars and Apple's losing. I mean, so it's like everybody, everybody wants this. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, oh, so you wanted it just so that you could like complain about the things that they say. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's it, uh, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, but in this instance, it turned out well because they, they managed to quickly reverse a pro- policy that uh, pretty much everybody thought was a bad one. So uh, definitely worked out well in this instance, but I don't know that it's going to work out that way necessarily in all of them for them because people are human. And, you know, maybe Jeff shouldn't have said what he said, but it's, you know, that's what's going to happen when when people start talking off the cuff. I agree with you guys. I feel like this is it's nice to see at the, you know, previously, I guess you could have pursuant to another uh, podcast that, that Jason is on. You could have asked Apple robot or not. And so now Apple seems like less of a <laughs> robot because instead of just having a single sort of monolithic mouth mouthpiece, uh, we're starting to see, as as we said, the, the personalities of these individuals. And I think it's good because it also gets us to deal with, uh, as, as Apple did during WWDC, bringing on stage people who had not been on stage before. A, it allows a little more uh, like diversity in terms of being able to not filter everything through a single person with a single image. B, it also lets us get closer to people who work on those specific projects, right? You know, seeing if we had had to wait for, you know, Apple PR or Tim Cook to come and talk about uh, royalty payments for artists, well, that it gets filtered through. You don't have as much direct knowledge there, but Eddie is the guy who does this, right? So in that sense, he should be the one talking about it. If you want to know stuff about software engineering, you shouldn't have to get that filter through Tim Cook. That's that's Craig Federighi's department, right? When they want to interview Johnny Ive, you know, about design stuff, it's not as though we get that filtered through, you know, a different lens. We get a little a little closer to the metal in, in Craig Federighi's uh, <laughs> analogy there. So I think it's great. I look forward to more tweets and if Eventual embarrassing tweets, of course. Well, that's topic one. Thank you all for your input on that. Krista, what's your topic? Oh, my topic is um, designing for accessibility. So that's become sort of a, a hot topic lately, and that's really exciting um, for me. So, so yeah, OS X and iOS have had, you know, for a long time, they've had some fantastic built-in accessibility features like VoiceOver um, that developers can access. But uh, lately, it's it's become more of a focus. It's definitely being discussed more in the mainstream, and people are considering accessibility in their applications like from the outset. Um, so Craig Hackenberry wrote a great post the other day about Twitterific being featured in the App Store alongside other apps with great accessibility features. And he pointed out that um, not only does it feel great to be able to serve this wider audience, um, including people with disabilities, but it also gave their downloads a big boost. Um, so really everyone benefits when you design your apps to be accessible. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that although I've been designing software for over six years now, it wasn't really until about three years ago that I started to consider how my designs would translate to voiceover while I was designing them. Um, it was actually at um, the UL conference in Ireland. I watched a talk um, by Charles Perry um, on designing with accessibility in mind, and he gave um, a great example of a house that had been designed with wheelchair accessibility in mind. So this house was lovely, and like nothing about it suggested that it had been designed for people with disabilities, but that um, that was the whole point. Um, they had done things like making it all one level, providing a clear and easy path for wheelchairs to access the front door, making that door easy to open <clears throat> Excuse me, from within a wheelchair, etc. So like that was a really big aha moment for me. So when um, I was designing Audio Hijack 3 for Rogue Amoeba, um, I knew we had some really great users who were visually impaired, and I tried to think... Um, about how my design might work with voiceover. And it was all custom. Um, so it's like, 
all of this all of this um, voiceover stuff works really well if you use all the default controls, but um, we were not using a lot of default controls. So it was really all on Grant Farr, actually, the, the developer um, who did all of the work in making Audio Hijack like fully accessible to um, via voiceover, and he worked with some of our voiceover users to get it just right. But that was really cool, and like I definitely had it in mind of like, okay, if I'm doing this and you know it's really heavily reliant on drag and drop, like how is that going to translate when um, when Grant does the voiceover stuff? And so it was. Um, it was just good, I, and I, I think to to keep that in mind, um, and yeah, and to know that Grant was able to translate my design into something that really works for people who use voiceover like all day every day, uh, it feels really good because I've tried using voiceover myself, um, just going through it, and I'm just like, oh my god, how do people do this? How do they get things done? Um, and I think one thing is that they they speed it up um, much faster than like the, the default. But um, but yeah, but that was a really cool thing, and I'm just really happy to see that people are talking about designing for accessibility. Um, Laura Savino just did a talk at the Layers Conference in San Francisco about designing for accessibility, and yeah, it's good to see um, that that's becoming just a, a bigger topic. I love that it's part of the conversation. I think I feel like that was what. That that's that's one of the most important steps is have people aware that it's an issue, and um and then people start sharing, uh you know, what not to do and what to do, and and that awareness kind of spreads and it's it's all um it's all good. I wanted to mention I I really like the stuff that um Stephen Aquino has been writing all 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 over the place on sort of every site, uh he pops up here and there. He's been at iMore a lot. He's been on Six Colors, um and he's been writing about accessibility in iOS a lot, which I think is great. When I launched Six Colors, I got email from a few people uh, asking about like very specific accessibility features in the CSS, that ways I could mark my CSS. And it was great because I, I literally just, I had no idea. And they said, you should do this and this and this. And I did it. And they said, thank you. That's great. And it was just a really nice exchange where it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, um, there wasn't an assumption there that I uh, I didn't care. It was much more like I wasn't aware, and I think that that we're still at that point where um, everybody needs to to learn this stuff and 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 grow and improve. Um, and then I also wanted to mention there's a there's actually a podcast about uh, accessibility in, in Apple products um, that's called the Maccessibility Podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and Shelley Brisbane, who has been on Clockwise and should be on again soon, uh, is one of the co-hosts of that. And that's a pretty cool perspective because those are uh, those hosts are all they all have have uh, uh, some various accessibility needs in Apple products. So it's kind of cool to get their perspective on what's going on. Yeah, I mean, some of this came to a head for me personally when I read uh, Molly Watts' blog um, because she, I believe she lives in Britain and she is um, a woman who suffers from Usher syndrome. And so she has, she is severely deaf and has tunnel vision. And she was writing about the Apple Watch and just how great that was for her in terms of being able to get around with directions and things like that. And then I believe it was, this, I'm trying to find it, but I think she also got to go try uh, some new, yeah, some new um, hearing aids that connect to the Apple watch. And she wrote about a really touching post about uh, her experience listening to her dad speak for the first time and realizing that, you know, because of the the new technologies that are enabled now she was really able to hear him speak clearly for the first time instead of instead of sounding more like a robot. So um, it's it's pretty it's really kind of great how all these things are coming to a head right now. 
I, I think there's always more to be done too. And I, and I think what's interesting is also, you know, that software can do a lot, but obviously designing, you know, physical objects to be accessible to people who have disabilities is a huge thing as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of my friends who is actually uh, uh, has some disabilities and is a uh, professor of computer science actually and deals a lot with accessibility issues was commenting that he was frustrated that the uh, Apple watch bands um, that can actually easily be put on one handed were all uh, really expensive. And he was trying to figure out, you know, whether or not he could do that because that is a disability he has to deal with. Um, and so I thought that was a really great point. It was one that obviously I, I just hadn't considered before, like how that might impact somebody who has, who has trouble with that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, starting as Krista mentioned, you know, the example of the house, it is really important to think about like all these different aspects of disability and how to make sure that we're not just creating devices that are only used by, you know, people who are, uh, who don't, don't suffer from those disabilities. So I think it's great that that's being brought to the forefront, both in software and hopefully more in hardware as well for people who need to deal with those, those sorts of disabilities too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm all for it. Stephen Aquino's writing, as Jason says, fantastic. Um, it's always great to get a different view on those things because I think a lot of people just don't know about it. They aren't informed and they they don't aren't aware of all the different facets in which that impacts people's daily lives. So thumbs up. All right, we're halfway through this one. Time for two more topics. But before that, we've got our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses you can get for a fraction of the price you'll find in stores. The mattress industry has forced customers into paying high prices. Casper is rethinking the mattress industry using that kind of internet know-how. They've built a, a really neat mattress. You buy it online. It ships to your door in a box. You open it up. Whoosh! It expands to fill the space. Not like of your entire house, just the part that's the mattress shape uh it, it, it's a hybrid mattress it's got latex foam and memory foam they work together i've got one in my house i love it it's great i was happy to banish my old bed which felt, felt like a trampoline honestly just you sit on it and the cat flies off the other end with this really super comfortable mattress the cat's happier too um usually mattresses can cost over fifteen hundred dollars casper mattresses cost between 500 for a twin uh 750 for full 850 queen 950 for king they're all made in the usa casper understands by Buying a mattress online is scary because you don't get to lay down on it. Although in a in a mattress showroom, you lay down on it for a couple of minutes, you can't really get a sense of whether you're going to be comfortable in it. Uh, so this is why Casper has a risk-free 100-day return period. If you don't like it, you can return it in the first 100 days, and they will take it away, and you don't have to deal with it anymore, and they will refund your money. So uh, Casper mattress shipped to you in that magical box. Give it a try, uh, and uh, I, I've really enjoyed it, so I think you shouldn't be scared about ordering a mattress on the internet. It's a really nice mattress, and you've got the 100-day return policy. And here's the best thing. Listeners to Clockwise can get $50 off toward any Casper mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash clockwise and using the show code clockwise. Terms and conditions do apply. Check out casper.com, and thank you so much to Casper for supporting Clockwise and all of Relay FM. All right, that is halftime over. Time for topic number three. It's mine. Uh, Amazon this week opened the Amazon Echo, which Dan has one in his house right now, uh, for buying by all. It was previously sort of invite only. You had to get in a queue. 
it's also selling the uh, Fire Phone. <laughs> Remember that unlocked at with a year of Amazon Prime at essentially fire sale prices. Huh? Fire <laughs> yeah, sale, uh, uh. <laughs> and um, also just announced an, a, an update of the Kindle Paperwhite, which makes me want to ask the broader question, which is what's up with Amazon and hardware, um, and 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 what should they be focusing on? Should they give up entirely? Are there certain product categories where they should just uh, abandon ship? I'm just curious what your 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 all thoughts are about uh, Amazon and building its own hardware. John, what do you think? Well, they seem to make a really good basic Kindle product. I mean, I think that that for as far as if you're just looking for something for reading books, the Kindle is fantastic. I love uh, mine. Yeah, and and it's really kind of the best way to read a book and electronically. Now, then you, then you start getting a little further afield with the tablets and stuff like that. And and they still, I mean, the Kindle Fire tablet is still pretty good. It's it's just like when they get into that weird area where they're trying to start. You know, I mean, they're more they're more interested in trying to sell you stuff than in trying to give you a good user experience. That it seems to fall crashing to the ground, and that's probably the big problem with the with the Fire Phone was that the the sole purpose for that thing seemed to be to just try and shove more stuff down your throat. And that's why they're they're selling it for basically <laughs> it's very uncomfortable to get that in a phone, <laughs> basically eighty dollars now uh, for an unlocked unlocked phone. Unfortunately, I think you cannot. You, I was I looked into this yesterday because I thought I wonder if you could wipe that thing and put just basic Android on it. But I don't think you can because I think they use their own ROMs. So it's not going to be a, an easy way to get a cheap Android phone. I like that you you phrased this question like a like a Jerry Seinfeld routine. What is the deal with Amazon yeah. hardware? <laughs> What's up with Amazon What's hardware? What's going on with that? <laughs> I think that John's right there. The Kindles, I have a Kindle. I really like it. Um, I do have an Echo, as Jason mentioned. I think the Echo is actually, as a hardware, like sort of industrial designed object, I think it's actually really well made. It's very simple. It has very few buttons. Um, and what controls it does have are nicely responsive. It feels like a nicely made solid product. Um, they took a really different approach with it, I think, with the whole invite-only selling thing. And I think in part that was probably because it, it was almost, it's not quite like selling a beta product, but it was like, well, we don't exactly know what the what the market is for this. Let's make some, see how they sell. And if they sell well, maybe we, you know, open that up to everybody. Um, or maybe they were just trying to build buzz, you know, by with marketing and making it exclusive. I don't know. I think it, I know a lot of, I actually know a surprising number of people who bought one. Um, our co-host from The Rebound, Lex Friedman, bought one. Um, my girlfriend brought, bought one after seeing it in my house. So I feel like that's apparently working to a certain degree. Um I, I think that that is kind of a cooler idea than them trying to make a smartphone or a tablet, which are mark, you know areas where they there are there are clear dominant players in those areas, and and moving into those markets is really hard. Um, even if you're Amazon, which is a big company, you know, like people always say with Google, like how does this trace back to advertising, which is sort of their main thing. With Amazon, you have to ask how does this trace back to selling things, and that's where the echo is weird because I still haven't figured out where that is. Um, but you also throw into this mix some of its other stuff. It's got like the the dash button where you reorder stuff. It's got the dash scanner where you like scan stuff and it adds stuff to your shopping list. Um, and so I kind of enjoy this whole Amazon, like, let's just make sort of random things and see if anybody wants them approach. Maybe it's not the best approach if you are like, you know, a hardware company like Apple or something like that. But in the case of Amazon, I think it's it's kind of cool to see what it comes up with. I 
really like the Echo and they've done a really good job of constantly rolling out new software capabilities for it. So I don't know what their overall plan is, but, uh, you know, they've had, they've had a couple hits and a couple misses, I feel like. So that's not too bad. Yeah, I, I actually don't own a single piece of Amazon hardware, not even a Kindle, even though I think the Kindle is great. Um, you know, when I've seen it in person, um, just the screen is really amazing and um, it seems like it would be great for books. Um, I read I read books on uh, my phone or I listen to audiobooks or I um, even will like pick up a paper book sometimes as crazy as that is. Um, so the the echo looks really cool like I like I like the form factor. Um, I just you know I was checking it out and I was like I don't know what I would use this for. Um, it seems cool. And yeah, and like you said, like they keep rolling out software capabilities. Like they, um, I think it supports if this then that now. And um, so it's it's interesting. It's just sort of like, do I do I need this thing? I don't know. I might. Um, but yeah, they definitely seem like they're just like doing experiments and just sort of seeing what sticks. Um, the dash button seems pretty ridiculous um, as far as hardware goes. Um, but it's also you know it's ridiculous to me. But maybe it's not. Um, ridiculous to to someone who's um, very busy or extremely organized in a way that I'm not maybe where they're like okay inventory of the paper towels is low I need to hit this button right now instead of pulling out your phone and- <laughs> sounds very much like a robot is buying paper towels or not uh, right but why don't why wouldn't you just do subscribe and save instead of the Amazon dash button like I really can't wrap my mind around like why I would need a dash button, but um, see that's the thing when a when a new gadget comes out, I just sort of I look at it and I try to find reasons to buy it, um, and then you know if I can't come up with like a good scenario in which I'd use it, I'm just like well okay I guess I can't get that new thing. Yeah, but I'm I'm curious to see what they'll um, what they'll do with the Echo and um, and to see what else what other kind of hardware they'll come up with. Yeah, I like the mad scientist aspect of of, uh, <laughs> of the Amazon hardware, but but. <laughs> I do, yeah. I do sometimes wonder what the angle is. I, I like that they're trying it. The Fire Phone is an example where I, I, they just need to. I, I, I'm afraid they're going to double down and do another no. one. <laughs> Cut your losses instead of just walking yeah. walking away. But I do love my Kindle. Although even there, I feel like they their um, hardware efforts are way ahead of their software, and they have just not been. Uh, I, I worry that none of their products have a long term focus and attention that will allow them to continue to be great or to become great if they're on the on the precipice. Um, and anyway, what's the deal with airline food, huh? <laughs> Uh, okay, that's my topic. John, what do you have for us? I am excited to tell you that the fine people who came up with pizza in a cup have put their minds <laughs> together again and have come up with the PC on a stick. Uh, Why is it not in a cup? This is, I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's next. Uh, you know, it takes time to develop these things, okay. Jason. Okay. Uh, this, is a, this is apparently a class of, of PC computer that's been out for a little while anyway. To date, I think most of them have been sort of those corporate thin client things that, you know, no person in his right mind actually wants to use, but many people are forced to use. But now Lenovo has announced this, this new PC on a stick device that comes with a few ports and, but it's just, so it's basically a stick kind of like a, like a Chrome. uh, What's that thing you've got, Dan, the Chrome, Chromecast, uh, Chromecast. Chromecast, Yes. And it just sticks into an HDMI port on any monitor or TV and you you could actually plug a USB based mouse and keyboard into it, but you could also just use Bluetooth with it. And you're you've got a PC running on on your on the screen and it's a terrible PC. And <laughs> it's not very good at all. It's a one point three gigahertz atom with two gigs of RAM and thirty two gigs of storage. And it comes with Windows 8.1 on it now, but you can upgrade it to Windows 10. 
But so even as bad as this thing is, it made me think, I wonder what a Mac mini like this would be like, because it seems like Apple is not shy about trying to make things smaller and smaller and to the point where they're almost invisible. And maybe this would be kind of a cool form factor. The one thing that I think would be a little bit weird is that we're all kind of used to having Apple devices with that logo showing that kind of you know, not like obnoxiously, but prominently showing on even even the you know, as small as the Mac mini is as small as the Apple TV is. It's still there. You can still see it. And it's got the Apple logo on it. I don't it seems weird to me that they, you know, the idea that I that I just came up with, that they might make one of these things and it would just be hiding behind somebody else's kind of gross looking monitor. Um, but at the same time, I kind of like the idea of, of having something, you know, you'd all you'd have on your desk would be the monitor. And just your Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I crazy for kind of kind of wanting one of these? I think that's called an iMac, John. <laughs> Except I'm hoping that it's cheaper. And so this thing is a hundred. This thing is one hundred and twenty nine dollars. Um, obviously, Apple would never sell one for that price. You'll, you'll get what you pay for too, right? It's it's yes. low powered. It you know it's got to be something that can't heat up too much, or else that's a potential problem. Um, I think this is more of a Mac Nano than a new Mac Mini. You know, it's <laughs> it's the idea of being. What 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 is the use case, right? Like, I think that there is an argument like for having a cheap PC. I like the idea of a PC that is very uh, mobile, like that, where it's like, well, I could take it with me when I travel. Uh, and if you know, if hotels weren't jerks about locking down their HDMI ports, you could like plug it into your your HDMI port in your hotel. But then, TV. But then like, you'd have to carry a keyboard and mouse. A computer that you take with you—that's <laughs> crazy. Computers don't aren't mobile. <laughs> see, I mean, in that instance, to me, it seems. See, I don't, I don't buy that use case. And they actually talk about that, I think, in the press release. I, I don't buy that use case because that seems ridiculous. Because you'd have to carry the keyboard and mouse with you. Whereas, you know, like we just carry a new MacBook. <laughs> You well, what if you could use your phone as a keyboard, yeah, though? I mean, like, you don't ha- yeah. necessarily have to have an external keyboard. You could have other input devices. If you had your, if you had a little um, Mac Mini on a stick, um, you know, from the State Fair or whatever, and you, <laughs> you plug it in um, to the HDMI port, port, but you also have your iPad with you, you can use that as the, the input device. That would be mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know, um, I know a lot of people bring their Apple TVs with them when they travel, so they can plug them into um, yeah, I've done yeah. that. Like hotel TVs. And, right. Yeah, and so I, but I wondered, too, like, why, um, why haven't they done this with the Apple TV? Like, to make the Apple TV that small seems like... I don't know. It seems doable. I don't know how hardware works. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. Is like, how does this differ then from a mini or an app or an Apple TV? Because well, it seems like, like video TV. playing. Remember yeah, it's web web, TV? yeah, it's yeah. like that, web nothing TV should be work. like web TV, Krista. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it seems like a kind of thing. It sits in between a Mac Mini and an Apple TV because video playing seems like it's a big, it's a possible use case for something that plugs directly into an HDMI port, much as the Fire TV stick or the Roku stick or the Chromecast. But at that point, I agree with Krista. Like, well, maybe you just make the Apple TV a stick that goes into the HDMI port. I think you guys said it all. I, I love the uh, exercise of thinking about what a, a Mac Mini of this size could be and and somebody just said in our chat room not enough ram uh seems like something apple would be right on so um i i I would i think it's intriguing i mean what is the mac mini for i i feel like it's the same thing it's like the mac mini it's for a bunch of different little things it's not really for any one thing and and this would be a furthering of that and it certainly would show off apple's kind of hardware prowess to be able to like look we made it even smaller and thinner and crazy it's crazy because we do that with all of our products we made it even crazier yeah and i that sounds very apple 
Apple. So it wouldn't. It, it would be interesting if if there was a new Mac Mini where they you know no longer constrained even remotely by things like uh, the size of a hard drive that they you know and, and they don't have a hard drive. They don't have the optical drive. They don't have any of that stuff anymore. Just uh, compacted down like to a single USB C port and and an HDMI port or something like that. That would be interesting to see. Dan, do we have a bonus topic this I'm week? I'm so glad you asked, Jason. But don't don't tell us the bonus topic yet because I have to tell you. I'm not glad you asked. <laughs> That the bonus topic is brought to you by JustWorks, which helps businesses take care of their benefits, payroll, and HR. Running a successful business is hard enough. The thousands of little details that sometimes make it feel overwhelming can drive you crazy. Like John Maltz will process your payroll uh, automatically. That's what JustWorks will do. They'll set up your team's benefits online and help you save on health care. It's that simple. You can find out much more at www.justworks.com spelled like it sounds, dot com slash clockwise. That's justworks.com slash clockwise. You'll get 15% off your first year at JustWorks when you sign in with the code clockwise. Grow your business, not your busy work. Use JustWorks. That's justwork.com slash clockwise. Use code clockwise. Created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Thank you to JustWorks for sponsoring the bonus question, Dan. The bonus question, which is this week from listener Shireen. She asked, what is your favorite seasonal food? And I thought since it's summer, what better time to figure out what your favorite seasonal food is? So Krista, what's your favorite seasonal summer food? Okay. Um, so it's this this corn um, from a restaurant in Portland called Pock Pock, um, but you can make it at home. It's like a salty coconut cream um, corn with lime. It's like this salty, like sweet, tangy corn that's just amazing. I'm going to double down on corn and say I do love summer corn and uh, I, I like grilling it. You soak them in water, grill them in the husk, and then take them off and everybody has corn and, and corn is good. Yay. My pick is just going to be berries. Fresh fresh berries we have ras- raspberry bush um and so they have to go out there and and they usually become really perfect about the beginning of july so we're getting getting very close to that uh, i'm gonna pick what, what is probably a sometimes food for uh or maybe an off more often food for most people but it's ice cream uh i don't eat a lot of ice cream in the months where it's cold here which is nine to ten months out of the year <laughs> so <laughs> during the summer i really have to get my fill of ice cream so i will say that my favorite summer food is Ice cream, preferably chocolate, but you know, whatever. Well, thank you all for your answers to the bonus topic. Uh, and thanks this week to our wonderful guest, Krista Murgan. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. And John Moltz, thank you as well. Thank you. Next time I want to hear more about your cat catapult. Okay. Well, Jason, we've come to the end of another episode of Clockwise. I think that's, we can all agree, if there's one thing we can say about this episode, it was an episode It was of an episode of Clockwise. And you know what? There'll be another one next week. It's always a pleasure, Dan. Always a pleasure for me too, Jason. And everybody out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.